I got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause winning's expensive. I got expensive, cause winning's expensive. I've been getting out of work. And welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the freight sales show for closers. We are going to talk about freight sales. We have an exciting 30 minutes for you today. My name is Kevin Hill. I'm your host here, as always, with Richie Daigle. How are you doing today, Richie? All right, Kevin. I know. Right. It's a wild freight market. Crazy. It, it is. It is. We were talking, um, talking before the show about a question you had uh, about carriers and number of trucks out there. And it's a very interesting it's a very interesting question. It was a great, good conversation. Um, but, but you can Google that article that I have out there, who's hauling spot market freight, or who's really hauling spot market freight. Um, because a lot of people cite that, that number right? that, that you were talking about. Is the, you know 90% of, of trucking companies have six or fewer trucks. That means most of the trucks out there are small fleets. Most of the trucks on the road are from small fleets, and that is entirely not true. The fallacy, right? It is a fallacy. And there's, there's, it seems like a logical jump to make, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you uh, you enlighten me with knowledge and data. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, so that 90%. Yeah. If you, if you look at trucks uh, or fleets or carriers, you should say, uh, between one and three trucks, they make up 15% of the trucks on the road. The, uh, the 500 trucks and more, about 30%. And you have that sweet spot right there. Uh, between, say, uh, four trucks and 500 that represent the rest of the market, which is a little bit over half. So it's those small fleets, 5, 10, 15, 20 trucks that, that really make up uh, a large part of the market, not necessarily the, the, the owner-operators, but that is, uh, you know, kind of freight 101. Who's, hauling, who's really hauling spot market freight? Google that article, and it'll come to a, a great analysis that, that we did here at the Freight Intel Group uh, a couple years ago. Yeah, it's good information to know what's going on, right? You know, and, and you're trying, at least the way my brain's working is, what's going on in the market? Is all the chaos because we don't have enough capacity or is this chaos because the capacity that's out there is not being used appropriately or is it some sort of combination of both? They've the, the told me before that there's inefficiencies in, in trucking. I've heard a rumor. I, I've heard that rumor <laughs> too. I, I have, you know who has really good information as well? That's Omar Singh over at Surge Trans- Transportation. It's the fastest growing 3PL in the logistics space today, based in Chicago and Jacksonville. They offer unrestricted access to almost all accounts, limitless territory, and a chance to be a key player in a growing company. To find out more, email jobs at surgetransportation.com. Once again, that's jobs at surgetransportation.com. So I, I also heard another rumor, Richie, recently that there's chaos in the supply chain. <laughs> no. Is that true? I've heard that rumor as well. It's going around. It um, is. Yeah. And, and I read something over the weekend. Actually, Craig Fuller sent it to me. And uh, it's very interesting. So this is the news. And it's from, uh, it's from Salesforce. Salesforce predicts that retailers will spend a whopping $223 billion more on retail-related costs like logistics, wages, and more in the second half of 2021 than they did in the same time period last year. Per a forecast cited by CNBC, this was spent at a 62% increase compared with 2020. And these extra costs are, are from retailers or come all along the supply chain, not just in trucking and transportation, um, but a 62% increase in cost. So my point about about saying this 
is this is what you should be talking to your customers about. Not necessarily about trucking and, and I have a truck and you know I can get that truck there. You should be talking to them about inflation, about the chaos in the supply chain and uh, asking really good questions about what they are, what their plans are about that. And not just in trucking, but all upstream, you know, from procurement and manufacturing or importation, because I, I hear another rumor that it, importing goods from overseas right now, that there might be a little bit of congestion in the ports. I, I don't know. I, I think I saw one headline about that randomly, right? You know what jumps off the, the page to me at this is, you know, we're not comparing post-pandemic year to pre-pandemic year anymore. We're comparing mm -hmm. post-pandemic year to post-pandemic year. We're, well, we're comparing... pandemic year to post-pandemic year. Maybe, yeah, well, right? I guess pandemic can be the neutral, right? Like yeah. this can be mm -hmm. like, like 19 is pre, 2020 is, and 2021 is post. Mm -hmm. But still, like the, 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 the big surge in freight volumes really took off in in you know, June, July of 2020. And so when we're looking at the second half of 2020 compared to the second half of 2021, and we're seeing increases like this, that's shocking to me. I mean, we were kind of at record levels this time last year. Right. We were record levels of freight, of tightness and capacity. I mean, we, we started this uptrend uh, of 25% plus, or let's say 20 plus uh, OTRI, which is outbound tender rejections, which is a measurement or proxy for capacity. It's, it's saying that 25 out of every, or one out of every four loads are being rejected by carriers. And this has been happening for 12, 15, 18 months. I mean, there's just not that many uh, contracted lanes that, that are really, truly rejected. And one out of four is a, 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 it's a humongous number. It's really around the top of the market. We saw, you know, you see pre-holidays, maybe above 30% uh, on a national average, but uh, we're kind of up at the, at the upper bounds of capacity, that means that, that you know, we are, uh, you know, volume is, is off the charts. Yeah, and it, it, re it goes back to something that I heard Zach Strickland say, uh, where he said that the, the volumes and rejections that we're seeing is just the top. It's just the ceiling, like the demand and everything that's coming in. We're seeing that like reflected in congestion. The ports can only process so many things in a day. Uh, so it's hard to really put a number on how crazy it is. Uh, I had a conversation, this kind of leads into the sonar chart for today, yeah. but I had a conversation with uh, a small shipper yesterday and they are already, and this is a really small shipper, uh, but they're already putting in orders and they're already like getting all their freight inbound for the holidays now. And they've, and they've been doing this already. And so it, it reminded me of... Um, what happened with toilet paper, you know, back in, in March of 2020. And, and here's what the, how the conversation went for a lot of people in my mind was, man, look at all these people going out buying toilet paper. I heard that there's a run on toilet paper. Mm -hmm. Those people are crazy. Why are they going out buying toilet paper? But I better go out and get some myself before it's all gone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, and right. so you have the person who is also critiquing the other person of being this mythical, you know, villain that's stealing all the toilet paper, you have enough people buying into this narrative and they all run out and buy all the toilet paper. And as I think we're starting to see that possibly, and this is just in my brain and I'm, I'm looking for data mm -hmm. to support it, but our shippers starting to do that a bit. Is there this panic buying where I heard things are really crazy. We better get all of our freight in for the holidays now. 
and you're starting to see that happen. And is the big holiday boom going to start way earlier and bleed in? And I don't know. Uh, what are your thoughts? My thoughts on that would be uh, you can't stand still in the middle of a stampede, right? Yeah. I mean, you yeah. can't. Uh, you either got to, to run, you know, even if it's off the cliff sometimes, but you can't just stand still in the middle of a stampede. So if everyone else is doing it, it's a theory of crowd, crowds, right? I, if everyone else is doing it, even though it might not be the best idea or it might not make logical, let's just say it might not make logical sense to do it. It's, it's sometimes you have to, to run, run with a stampede or you get run over. Um, this big self-fulfilling prophecy. Self-fulfilling right? prophecy. You have the, you're this, exactly right. this population that's panicking and then creating the situation that they're actually panicking about. I know. It's really strange, isn't it? <laughs> it, it, it is. Uh, we also have Nate Crotz here. He's a co-host of Freight 360, the, the, the Freight podcast. It's, it's very entertaining with him and Ben. Uh, it's it, It's great. It's, it's a great podcast, and uh, we have him in, and we've been talking about jo the job markets and entrepreneurship and uh, that, that type of things that the pandemic, those situations that pandemic has brought. And what that means in, in freight and logistics is uh, a lot of people want to, to go. They're always interested, but they're probably more interested than ever with this hot market about going out and being an agent. Being an agent, having a little bit of protection, or at least striking out on their own, and the agent model is is really good for some people. And for others, there's a lot of things you should know about. And Nate Cross here, co-host of Freight 360, knows a lot about that because he is an agent. He's VP of Agent Development for Pierce Worldwide. How are you doing today, Nate? I'm doing good. I just want, want to let you guys know I actually have a ton of toilet paper at my house, so I'm not worried about that kind of stuff right now. <laughs> but that, that's, that's good. That, that, that's good. I, I think um, I, I think you can walk in the store now, and I, I know have like hand sanitizers. There's entire displays of that where you buy one get five free or, or whatever. So uh, that's good. Yes. Uh, Nate, uh, do you mind introducing yourself and, and kind of a bit of your background to our audience? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm, I'm located in Orchard Park, New York. Go Bills. Um, I, I've been in the logistics realm since uh, I graduated high school 2005 and joined the military. And I've been in the logistics world since then. I'm still in the National Guard as a logistics officer. But I joined LDI or Logistic Dynamics back in 2014. It's a, it's a fairly larger agent-based brokerage in Buffalo and did a lot of agent recruiting. And then we actually built an agent development team and department to help grow the agent size and kind of build that back office and help folks develop as an agent and grow. And then uh, started a podcast in 2019. It was originally called The Midnight Freight Broker. And it was all just based around the concept of just talking randomly about freight brokering and kind of the, the hurdles that some folks have, some commonly asked questions. And then um, I, I made a switch in uh, 2020 to join Pierce Worldwide Logistics to run the agent program there. And I, I joined forces with Ben Kowalski and we rebranded the podcast to Freight 360. So we do a weekly show ourselves and um, it's, it's kind of grown into like a lot of educational videos. Um, we do some blogs. We, we just actually launched a training course too for newer folks and we do some coaching. So it's been a good ride. It has. We had been um, on, the, on the show a couple, three weeks ago, I think now, and I've been on Freight 360 Two or three times myself. It's a, it's a it's a good podcast that everyone should take a listen. We always to. love having you on. <laughs> it's always a fun conversation. It always goes just like that, and I'm sure today will be just like that. It'll go like that because it's a very interesting topic. 
uh, for a lot of people. It's just, you know, transitioning from a W-2 employee to 1099, building your own book of business, and not being a freight broker per se, but a freight agent. Richie was asking me uh, right before, what's really the difference between a freight broker and freight agent? And I gave him an answer, and it probably wasn't very good. So I will let you answer the question as well, Nate. Yeah, so it, it's a great question, and it's funny. A lot of folks that I'll talk to, and uh, you know, I present the the idea of becoming a freight agent. They're like, "What is this? I, I don't I don't understand." Like, I'm 1099. I'm an independent contractor. I don't have a boss. Like, what is this? So it's not uncommon for folks to not be familiar with the agent model and brokerage. Um, I would tell you that it's gained a lot of popularity in the last probably 10 to 15 years. You see a lot of companies now that have really grown with their agent-based model. But I guess the really the, the biggest difference is you know being that independent contractor versus being a W-2 employee, right? There's a very, very hard line that defines the relationship with the company that or the brokerage that you're working for versus the, the brokerage that you're working for under as an independent contractor. You don't work for them. You're not an employee. Your contract clearly states that relationship out, or at least it should if you're with a reputable company. But so, you know, kind of the, the what that drills down to is you don't have a boss. So you don't have someone telling you what your goals are, how many calls you have to make, or how much freight you have to move each week or each month. So you, you have to be a self-starter. You've got to be really driven yourself and motivated to to run your own operation. A lot of these folks, what they'll do is they might start off as just a one man or woman operation, but they'll grow it into a full-blown agency and they'll hire on their own either W-2 employees to help their operation, or they might even hire on sub-agents, which are essentially subcontracted folks under their own agency. So that's the biggest difference is the, you know, the being your own boss, you know, owning your job essentially versus working for the man himself. Oh, that's great. And it makes total sense. I've been in 1099 positions, have been in W-2 positions. Um, I'm, I'm personally, I, I feel familiar with both, uh, you know, both different scenarios. But let's say there's somebody who's getting involved with freight, and they're they're new, or they're a, you know have a few years working at a big brokerage, and they're wanting to strike out on their own, or they're wanting to move, or wanting to make some sort of a change. What 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 type of personality fits the brokerage world better, and what type of personality fits the agency model better? Um, and what are kind of pros and cons of each? Uh, well, I think the whether you're going to start your own brokerage from scratch or you're going to become an agent, there's a lot of risk that goes into it. There's there's a lot less risk if you're an agent, uh, but both carry far more risk than being hired as an employee for a company. Because in both of those scenarios, you're not going to draw a salary from anybody whatsoever. You're either if you're an agent, you're straight commission, right? So you're going to receive typically a a percentage of whatever gross profits you produce. So you know, 70% seems to be the the common payout for an agent right now. Whereas if you are a, if you're going to start your own brokerage, you're going to keep 100% of your profits, but you've got a lot of other costs associated. And that's another big difference with the agent model. If you're a freight agent under a brokerage, that brokerage company, they carry the authority, they have the bond, they carry any insurances, they provide you with that TMS platform to do your job. A lot of times they're going to do some marketing tasks for you, whether you know, it's running a website, generating inbound leads for you in some instances. Um, but a lot of the, the the bigger ones is going to be the cash flow. So obviously, as a as a freight broker, there's a lot of financing that goes into that that transaction that folks don't tend to think about, right? Your customer might pay in 45 or 60 days, but you got to pay a carrier if it's quick pay same day or you know three five days. There's that gap in between, and freight agents don't have to worry about that because that company they work for 
part of the reason that they don't give 100% to that person, and say, let's say you're on a 70-30 split, that 30% goes to pay for that financing, for that back office, that accounting team that's sending invoices out, sending carrier payments out, vetting carriers for you, checking credit history on certain shippers. So um, there's a lot more risk in starting your own brokerage. But like you said, I mean, if you if you want to strike out on your own, you could you could likely strike strike out more if you start your own brokerage. Um, <laughs> higher higher odds that way. But um, and that and that brings up another point too is with the agent model, a lot of these companies out there they're not just going to take anybody on. They want you to be experienced. They want you to already have a book of business that's developed so, and active. So so great great point. That was my next question, Nate. Is well, let's hypothetically, I'm a rock star freight broker. I, I work for you know, say a top 100, say top 100 freight brokerage or 3PL. I'm really good. I'm, I'm making great commission checks. I think, man, I can just go out and do this on my own. I can go out and become an agent, or maybe it's a mid market that I work for. I can go out and be an agent because I'm really good. I have the, I build up this book of business. Now, can I really take this book of business I have on company A and take it? and be a freight agent for company B if I have a non-compete. How does that hinder people from moving from a freight broker to a freight agent? Great question. And even before the non-compete comes up, there's always the question of, is that customer actually going to True. go through the, the hassle of setting up under a new broker? Does he love you enough? That, to trust with you. But let's say that they're on board, they want to move with you. The non-compete is probably the, the biggest hurdle that a lot of folks that come from the W-2 world, it's one of the biggest hurdles that they're going to run into because, um, you know, depending on how the non-compete is spelled out, it, it might have a handful of clauses. You might have the, the non-competition, which says you cannot go work in the industry for any of our competitors, right? And it usually has like a, a geographical radius in there and a timeline, like, you know, 50 miles for the next six or 12 months, whatever. Then there's the non-solicitation portion of that agreement with states, sure, you may be able to go work for somebody else, but you can't solicit any of the customers that have ever worked with us for the last year or two, right? And then they have confidentiality agreements, works made for hire clauses in there. So there's a whole lot of uh, legal mumbo jumbo in there. And again, I'm not an attorney, but I've seen enough of these and been through enough to know that they are 95% of the time a scare tactic more than anything else. And that does its job. So, you know, 19 out of 20 folks are just not going to try and go work for another company because they're afraid I don't want to get sued. It's going to be on my permanent record or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, but there's a lot of caveats to that. At the end of the day, any kind of lawsuit or legal action is going to either be, you know, let's say it, it does get pursued by the, uh, the previous employer. It, let's say it gets to a judge. At the end of the day, the judge is the one that gets to decide can this can this person go and work for another company? Can they take their business with them? And there's a lot of subjectiveness that goes into that, such as, you know, did the previous employer do wrong by the employee? Was there a hostile work environment? Was there, um, you know, did they not uphold their end of the contract? So there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, my recommendation for anybody that has a non-compete or non-solicitation clause that's W-2 is get ahead of it and have an open and honest conversation with your employer before you decide to leave because you don't want to be surprised with some sort of um, you know cease and desist letter that comes in the mail you know overnight priority you know two days later and it gets sent to your new employer or your new brokerage whatever and yourself and the new company might say well we don't want to work you know we don't, we don't want to bring this agent on because we're gonna get sued and you know then they can be held liable um, but if you can just talk terms out and say hey. I'm I'm not going to go touch any of the customers that 
I worked with at this company. I understand you guys did great by me. It was a great relationship. You trained me how to broker, um, but I'm ready to move on. There's no opportunity here for me to be a, a 1099 independent agent and tr just try to work those terms out. And a lot of times it can be done. And at the end of the day, you know, some companies are still going to try and sue you and pursue it. At the end of the day, whoever wants to spend the most amount of most amount of money is going to win. So if they even do pursue it, so yeah. I, it is. It's always a, a crazy battle. Uh, it's, it's a crazy battle that, that you have to, to take the risks. And if you do it right, if you sit down and explain to your current employer exactly what your, your thoughts are, you're, you're much better off all the, all the time, you know, transparency. Yeah. And the other thing to add in there, too, is depending on which state you live in and where in which county that the, uh, you know, the legal battle may take place in, there's states that are commonly known as, um, you know, the worker-friendly states, I guess you might call them, mm -hmm. where non-competes tend not to be upheld. And even, I know President Biden had released, um, you know, he had talked about an executive action that would essentially ban non-compete clauses in certain industries. So I'll be curious to see how this, you know, how it plays out. I, I think when you can move bodies around from one organization to another and not restrict that upward mobility and sharing of that knowledge, uh, I, th I think it's, it's healthy for the industry overall. It really is. So getting back to the the difference between WT and W2 and 1099. I know that when I went into the 1099 position, I've been in a few, um, there's always some, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't realize that falls under my responsibility. Or, oh, I didn't realize that there's these expenses. There's a, a couple little surprises that can pop up and, and surprise and, and catch people off guard. But taxes. Taxes. Taxes is a huge one. Biggest one. <laughs> but what else should people know about? Like, what are what are some of the things that the the typical W two employee that's moving to a ten ninety nine position might not think about, or might might skip their brain, or it might surprise them when they get into that position? Yeah. So taxes is the biggest one. I'll I'll circle back to that in a second here. But a lot of the other ones that I commonly see is, you know, someone will ask like, "Hey, are you guys going to send me a computer?" And no, you are responsible to furnish all of your own business expenses, such as phone, internet, computer, typically lead generation, um, printer, all that stuff, right? They're, they're typically going to provide you with a software platform to, to operate daily out of. But anything outside of that realm is really going to be on, on the agent themselves, right? And that's part of that, that um, legal definition that segregates or separates employee from independent contractor. The I know the the contracts that I've seen for independent agents, it clearly states that, you know, the brokerage company cannot legally provide marketing materials like print, printouts or flyers or business cards. They're not supposed to because that's that's the definition of an independent contractor, you're self-employed. Now the taxes side of it is really the biggest one so you're self-employed, you're going to pick up that other half of the employment tax that your employer typically pays. So I think it's like the total is like 15.3%. Uh, so 7.65% you normally pay. Now you're paying double. Okay. There are some tax write-offs that you can, you know, you can write off essentially for being self-employed, your home office expenses, things like that. But as an independent agent, there's not a whole lot of um, things you can write off that really will outweigh the self-employment tax. The caveat to that is how much commission you'll make is going to be the, the big uh, game changer there. So the other point on taxes, too, is 
you have to file quarterly tax estimates throughout the year and your tax professional can guide you along the way to do that. Again, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a tax pro, but I, you know, I have my own that can, you know, that's talked me through this kind of stuff. So I, I know how it works. So those are the biggest things is, you know, making sure you're doing your taxes properly, working with a professional that knows how to do this stuff day in and day out. So you're not surprised when the IRS sends you a big tax bill at the end of the year with a penalty on top of it. Yeah, Nate, you, uh, you have too much personality to be a lawyer. So I, I, I believe you totally. Uh, we're out of time on the interview. What, what we'll do is do an audio only, put that coffee down here in the next couple of weeks if you have some time and really uh, dive into this in depth because I have about 100 more questions for you. On this, we haven't even gotten to should you be a, a freight agent if you have no experience in the industry, which, I mean, that's, that's a half an hour right there, just, just getting warmed up. So, um, right. so thank you so much for your time today, though. How, how does our audience reach out and, um, and find uh, Freight360 and, and contact you? Yeah, so Freight360.net is our website. There's a contact form right on there, or you can just email info at Freight360.net. And then also pierceworldwide.com is the, uh, the brokerage that I work for. So you can check out our website there. Thank you again. Thank you very much for your time. And we will do an audio only uh, version here Thanks, uh, that you can find on FreightCast. Thanks, Nate. I've got a hundred more questions about, about freight agents. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a deep rabbit hole. I, it, it, it is. You know, and, and Nate got into a little bit uh, about what the 1099 person or you, you as a freight agent are responsible for and what the company is and, and kind of those murky legal lines of providing things to you and, and kind of how to, to evaluate different offers because there's a lot of uh, freight agent offers out there and some are, uh, let's just say, too good to be true sometimes. So we, we will see about that. But let's, uh, let's flip over the sonar chart. Uh, we're, we're kind of talking about 62% increase year over year in retail supply chain costs. And this chart is going to give you a reason why. Yeah, so you know, this is a chart that we've shown on this show before. And I, and I came back to it and thought that it was worth pulling up again. And you know, what we're seeing in the blue line is the imports coming into the country as being registered from, from customs. And the green line is those containers that are being tendered or booked uh, to, to come into the US. So that, that green line is typically the leading indicator for the blue line. Uh, but what you see is this big hump in the green line where it was really elevated and the blue line has been holding more or less uh, static and that and that's congestion is what we're seeing there. What What's jumping off the page to me this time is the dotted line or that seven-day forecast of containers inbound to the U.S. is spiking. It's back on the I rise. I see that, yes. And it's quite a spike too. Yeah, that's a big, big jump. And it's like lumber prices. <laughs> yeah, I was, and I was putting this chart in, maybe it's just the, the timing. I, I looked at this chart right after that conversation I had with that small shipper. He's like, mm -hmm. yeah, we're already getting all of our stuff in for the holidays. And I'm like, is this, is this saying that other people have that same mindset? Is, is this the beginning of a lot of holiday freight? I don't, it's a question that will be answered over the coming weeks and months, but yeah, it could be. Well, I'm from Oklahoma, so it looks like a stampede to me. Everyone's <laughs> trying to, to, to beat everyone out in positioning, getting their orders in, getting the, their product in, because you have to build in that margin of safety right now. 100%. Yeah, you don't want to be stuck on uh, you know, Black Friday and your product's not here. Oh, man, you, you really don't, do you? <laughs> I, you really don't want to. You don't be the, the, the odd man out no. or the odd person out, do you? 
I mean, you want to, sometimes uh, the wisdom of the crowd, I, I, I don't know if I always agree that the crowd is always wise, but sometimes you have to, to, to be part of the crowd. You know, you, you have to get out of the way or, or in the middle of the stampede uh, so you don't get run over just to, to build in a margin of safety because we just don't know. But I, I, I think we know that it's going to be a busy holiday season. It's going to be, we're going to see more congestion coming up. Um, most of most of the Christmas products are just now getting on the ocean or, or scheduled, right, here in, in August and September, you know, getting through the, the, the supply chain distribution channels. Uh, so, so yeah, it's going to be really interesting. So, but that, that wraps it up really for Put That Coffee Down uh, for, for this episode. And we will do an audio only with, with Nate and Ben. Uh, about the freight agent model because it is it is very interesting. Uh, later on today at 3 p.m. we have I, I think at 2 p.m. we have at your doorstep with, mm-hmm. with Kaylee. Not today. I'm sorry, I was just told not today. But at three <laughs> o'clock we have great quarter guys, unless they tell me otherwise, I and mean, I don't think they are. So we do have great quarter guys at 3 p.m. today with Andrew Cox, and uh, I believe Anthony Smith will be joining us, and then. On August 11th, our next virtual event is the Cold Chain Summit. Uh, very dynamic things happening in this cold chain. We have some, some great guests uh, coming up. So you can go to live.freightwaves.com to, uh, to look at that agenda and register for free. But that wraps it up. I got friends only want to talk business. I got expensive because when is expensive. I got expensive because when is expensive. I've been reading out of work. I've been shutting out the stars. Yes, the winner.